When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and This is dedicated to the homies that was down since day one. Welcome to Drop D. Welcome to Quick Hits, a JFK assassination news and notes podcast with your hosts, Rob Clark and Doug Campbell. And here we are. Welcome, guys, to Quick Hits, a JFK assassination research news and notes podcast. I am exactly 50% of your hosts. My name is Doug Campbell, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Rob Clark. Hello, Rob. What is up, Doug? Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is episode number 16 of Quick Hits. Number 16. And sweet 16. 16. Sweet 16. I know it's a cliche, but I had to say it. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, no, it's perfectly, perfectly all right. Perfectly all right. Apropos, and you know what? We have got a ton, a ton, a ton of stuff to talk about. So why don't we just dive right in, dude? Shall we? Shall we? Research news and notes. I'm ready. It's been way too long. Let's do it. All right, buddy. I got a quick one, and then we'll get into my main meaty one. But this is, I just got a one-page document here that jumped out at me as interesting, sir. So, Doug, you're familiar with all the shenanigans that uh, Dan and Rather pulled surrounding the assassination right you know when he came to describing the zapruder film and all oh that yeah yeah jo- what and i saw john kennedy stand up in the limo turn 180 <laughs> degrees around and look at the building behind him from whence the shots came i do remember that yeah yes his head was thrown so far forward <laughs> well i think maybe he was watching the film in reverse i don't know now didn't he but- say that kennedy like grabbed his throat, stood up, spun around. I don't know. It's been so long since I've heard anything about it. I I want to say he, he obviously. I think I'm pretty sure he described it as Kennedy being his head being flung forward, you know, from the shot from behind. Yeah. When in reality, if you, if you watch the Pruder film, it, it's back into the left. You know. Um, yeah. But I <clears throat> I came across an interesting document. Concerning Dan, rather, from uh, June 10th of 64, okay? Okay. And this is from uh, Special Agent in Charge Gordon Shanklin. Uh, yes, okay? very familiar Dallas. name. Very familiar name. Yeah. Subject, uh, and this is an FBI memo, 
Um, and this is just to file. It's not to not to anybody in particular, but and it's concerning Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, aka ISR Cuba. Right. And he says, Section Chief W. A. Brannigan called at one thirty-five today and stated the President's Commission by letter dated six nine sixty four advised as followed. In a tape recording made available to the commission by Dallas radio station KRLD, an employee of CBS News, one Dan Rather, is quoted as having told another newsman that he saw Lee Oswald in the Carousel Club prior to November 22, 1963. Okay. The commission uh, would appreciate you're interviewing Mr. Rather to determine if he did in fact see Lee Harvey Oswald in the Carousel Club and the circumstances under which such statement alleged by KRLD was made by as provided to the commission Rather's alleged statement is quoted on a KRLD audio tape real number 43B from November 24th hey, 1963 yes you're blowing my mind right now you like that? <laughs> would you like to back? <laughs> would you back up and read that again? Because I don't think uh, I don't think I really wrap my head around that properly. So Dan Rather, yeah. Oh wow! Now he was yeah. in Dallas. I mean, he was a Dallas newsman at that time. That was like his big springboard yeah. to national stardom. You know, was uh... <laughs> okay. Yeah, I want to hear that again, dude. I want to absorb that some more. Okay, all right, real quick. In a tape recording, so this is on audio, recorded by the CBS news station, KRLD. Dan Rather is quoted as having told another newsman that he saw Lee Oswald in the Carousel Club prior to November 22nd, 1960. This audio tape, Doug, is from November 24th, 1963. And the reel and the minutes and all that were were noted. They've got it nailed down. Real 43B from November 24th, 1963. And it says, Mr. Brannigan instructed that Dallas arrange to interview Rather and to run out any investigation indicated as a result of the interview. Apparently, the commission already has the statement, uh, so this investigation will have to be conducted, and it is on the director's special list of things to do immediately. Results of this interview are to be firm furnished by letterhead memorandum and Mr. Brannigan stated that as soon as the results are in, they will be furnished to the commission. Addendum. I personally contacted Mr. George Sanderson of KRLD and he advised me that Dan Rather is presently with CBS and already stationed in Washington, D.C. and can be reached there. (laughs) Wow. That was fast. It was fast. Yes. He got called up very quickly. Don't you think? Risk versus but I just reward. It interesting wow. that he obfi- yeah, that he would obfuscate the Zapruder film to to the to the public. Hey, Rob. But yet to the commission, yeah. Rob, Quick Hits has a Twitter feed, do we not? Uh, things. So. Yeah, didn't so. you set one up? I believe I did. You know, Mister Rather is rather busy and active. On the yes. social media platform, Twitter. Yes. I think we should, 
and by we, I mean you, <laughs> tweet him a screenshot of this document and ask him to explain. Yeah, and we I will, don't we have the, the results uh, <clears throat> memorandum. I just have this instruction memorandum. You can you can ask him. You can, dude, you know, we are, this is quick hits. We would like to know, is this true? Did you see? He saw Lee Oswald with Ruby in the Carousel Club, apparently, allegedly. Right. I, I mean, think, that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty sketch, right? I That's very sketchy. And I think uh, he should be uh, asked about this because... It would be an interesting thing to to report on in the next episode, whether he responded. And if he does, how? Right. Well, I will get on it as soon as soon as we get off the air. As soon as we get off the air, maybe we'll have something really interesting to deliver to the listeners next time. That is a fascinating document. And, you know, stay tuned for that, people. It's very hard to wrap my head around that part of me. And the other part is like, well, that's not very surprising, but it is very surprising, you know. Man, this dude was all in. Was he in the military yeah. before he was? In the- <laughs> yeah, who knows? You know what I mean? So, well, I know. How, how much do we know about this cat now? But I have heard, have seen the black and white, and I believe it was on Evidence of Revision, that fantastic documentary series that's on YouTube. Um, about uh, it's either two or three about the murders of Kennedy and um, Oswald, or it might even be the first one. Um, can't remember, but. There's that, they show the black and white, and I remember watching it, you know, very young Dan Rather stay, and the president stood up, turned around, and grabbed his throat, you know, and when he, and, and, and it's like, well, he got yeah, he away. described as a Pruber film that we didn't see, so. <laughs> he is, like you said, he described it, somebody put the reels on, you know, backwards or something, but. Backwards. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's the craziest damn thing, I mean. And and I and like how ridiculous is his statement now? And I wonder if anybody's ever called him on that. Like you know, after um, Groden and Geraldo brought the Zabruder film out where for for everybody to see, you know, wonder if anybody ever called bullshit on him or just right. let it go. I'm sure they tried to over the years, but he's pretty pretty untouchable. Yeah, pretty untouchable. Yeah. So we'll put a pin in that until next show. And, uh, <laughs> That's. Uh, what a good find, dude. Good job. Yeah. Hell yeah. Now, the meaty, the meaty thing that I want, want to talk uh, tonight about, Doug. All right. Um, it it kind of sparked me when I heard actually one of the Dallas action shows. I believe it was not this past one, but the one right before it, where you were talking about uh, the letter between Claire Booth Luce uh, and the or the conversation between Claire Booth Luce and William Cole. Yeah, 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 yeah. CIA director uh, William Colby. He um, she she contacted him that uh, and told him that the Cuban exiles that she sponsored told her after the assassination that they had surveilled had done a counter penetration on Lee Oswald because Lee Oswald tried to penetrate them. And that they had him under surveillance in Miami and New Orleans and had records of the surveillance, this this surveillance, because they didn't right. trust him. And then uh, Colby kind of went all out. Trying, he kind of went, hey, well, if and what it amounted to was these Cuban exiles saying that the FBI threatened them after this. They took this stuff to them, the FBI, right after the assassination. You know, 
and 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 my 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 theory was that all that evidence of that surveillance on Oswald disappeared probably because these Cuban exiles had surveilled and noted Oswald meeting with the FBI and that's really what the the, the I can't remember the guy's name now it was an American that worked with these Cuban exiles um he told Claire Booth Luce and Colby both you know that that the FBI had threatened them over this stuff, you know, because of what they knew, and 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 had told them don't ever let this get out, you know, and that they were all scared. Right. Yeah. Well, I know you didn't mention the name on the podcast, but to me, that certainly sounds like Bringier and Company. Carlos yeah. Bringier. And well, this guy, um, she claimed that the dude was. Um, Part he was a boat captain, called her her boat captain, and that he had something to do with Operation Tilt. Um, so I don't know if that's the same bunch, but I, I see what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just happened to find some corroborating evidence for you. Okay, hell, lay it for on all me. that uh, story. So, and, and folks, if you haven't heard the episode, what what episode number is Doug? Oh boy, uh, one se- oh, 74, 75, which is the seventy six? Yes, it's seventy six. Okay, yeah, go listen to it. It's it's amazingly interesting. It is because uh, one seventy. That conversation between Claire Booth, Luce, and Colby. Yeah, it is one seventy six. As a matter of fact, okay, that'll bring you up to speed with what we're about ready to talk about. Now, if I came across uh, an interview with Orestes Pena. Oh boy! <laughs> uh, from November twenty second of all dates, nineteen seventy one. Oh wow! And this took place in New Orleans by Harold Weisberg in person. So what he did, he met up with Arrestus Pena in seventy one in New Orleans, and uh, audio taped this, this interview with Arrestus Pena. And then I guess when once he got home, he transcribed the entire interview. It's fifty pages long. So I read it all, all, and I cut out all the the bullshit, and I got just the meaty parts for you. Okay, arrest arrest Pena, man. That guy uh, is fascinating. Do you do you would yes. you buy his story that that he was threatened by the FBI as well? And see, that put me in mind of him too when I thought about you know being threatened by the FBI because you know they have knowledge of the FBI meeting with Oswald. You know they definitely have that in common. Because Warren, Warren yeah. Debris, uh, you, do you, you think he was uh, on the up and up describing how Debris threatened him? I do. Yeah. Once, once you hear everything about Debris that this guy says, <laughs> yeah. it's not pretty. Yeah, I'm with you, buddy. I'm so, with you. <clears throat> Harold Weisberg says, on arrival Thursday night, I'd gone to see arrest three times before finding him. And then about midnight or a little later, he was cordial. And we made a date for yesterday afternoon to meet up. And uh, and actually talk. Um, he wants to make charges against Hoover, the new. Or, I'm sorry, yeah, Hoover, the new head of the New Orleans office of the FBI, and Warren Debris. And for this purpose, will do so only in the presence of what in regards as, or what in he what he regards as the press. I guess himself, you know. Yeah. Um, he says that he had seen Oswald there frequently. Uh, at uh, Pedro the Greek's coffee shop 
uh, meeting with uh, CIA Immigration Services had office had offices there, and certain members of the FBI, including Warren DeBreeze. He says that he had seen Oswald there frequently, frequently, and with federal agents of whom he named only Warren DeBreeze. Others, aside from the barmaid in my earlier notes, now dead, and uh, he finds something sinister in the death of a former cook for him uh, when he, he ran a restaurant in Puerto Rico about a month ago while watching a cockfight. This uh, cook, also having been to that coffee shop, although I'm pretty certain he suspended suspended selling food before Oswald's time. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So, I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, let's get into the meaty parts. <coughs> so, the meat, baby. The meat. So he starts it off with, you know, arrest is, you know, your place of business is near that of Carlos Springier. And he says, yes. Would you please tell me some of the people you have seen there? Who are of interest in this story. And he says, I have seen in the Casa Roca, in the 100 block of Decatur, which was owned by, owned and operated by Mr. Carlos Brignier, I've seen him several times, was Captain Ferry. And uh, Weisberg says, David Ferry? And he says, yes, Dave Ferry, which I call all the time. I don't mean... He says, I don't mean Captain Ferry and Mr. Warren DeBreeze. And uh, Weisberg says, the FBI agent? And he said, yes, the FBI agent. He said, did you ever see them together or did you see them separately? And he says, I can no say that both of them being there together. I see Brignier and the FBI Warren DeBreeze talking inside the Casa Roca store. And like I said, I seen Captain Ferry and Brignier talking inside the store Casa Roca as well. And he says, would you say that Ferry was there on a number of occasions often? And he says, yes, sir. And Ferry was also in your place of business often. And he says, very often. Right? Yeah. And he says, totally, totally um, believable. And of course you, <clears throat> and of course you have no control over the kind of people who come to your place of business here. Uh, you don't know who they are. You have a public's place. Now, do I correctly understand that there are a number of homosexuals that, who like to meet sailors and who think or who think to come here to meet sailors? And he says, yes, sir. And he said, and some of these, of course, you keep it a secret, as you should, but some of these are rather prominent people, professional people included. And he said, yes, sir, like doctors, lawyers, engineers. He says, yes, sir. 
Many of them had big jobs in the city, big jobs and big companies. And he says, yes. And now those who prefer to meet the Latin sailors go to the Havana bar. And those who like to meet sailors from Turkey and Israel and Greece and others go to the Greek club. Okay. And he says, yes, <laughs> I wanted to make a record of that because it could be of interest. Returning to Captain Ferry, again, I believe you told me uh, when you were telling me about you're having taken a couple of uh, airplane lessons from him until you got frightened and stopped. But he used to very often bring the young men uh, of his Eagle Squadron into your Havana bar. And he says, yes, sir. I don't remember exactly uh, he calling them Eagle Squad. I know he told me one time the name of the organization that he was the chief. <clears throat> yeah. So there's the words, or the organization and the words chief again. Yep. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, ju- that jumped off the page at me. That that, um, that comes up a couple of times. That's that's the Oswald. The Oswald said the same thing, right? The chief's going to take care of me. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Uh, who did he? Right. Who did he say that about? Who knows? It could have been Bannister. Could have been could've Hoover. Been... Could have been Ferry. I, I mean, who knows? I wouldn't think Ferry. Um, the chief could have been Debris. Could have been Bannister. Could have been Hoover. Um, but you know, I'm thinking uh, while he's in New Orleans, probably Bannister. Yeah. Was sort of the one keeping an yeah, eye on him, that right? Was my thought too. Yeah, 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 and but he's still Oswald's still talking to the FBI. I mean, homeboy, this cat uh, that Claire Booth Loose was talking about, you know, told Col- uh, William Colby when Colby contacted him on the phone. He said Oswald is selling information to the FBI. We know this. We surveilled him. We did a counter counter penetration. You know, which I don't know about selling him information, but certainly working with him. I think as an informant. Oh yeah, <clears throat> for sure. Well, that's interesting, man. Yeah, that yeah. But Oris Payne. So goes on. He's talking to him. Isn't there mm-hmm. a school of thought? There, there are a couple of people, sort of out there in the uh, in the uh, research uh, community, uh, who don't uh, don't believe him. They don't give him much 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 credibility. Is that is that? Am I correct in that? Who are you referring to? Pena. Uh, I don't know. I haven't heard any much kickback from it. I mean, yeah, he's uh, pretty legit. I mean, Weisberg seemed to, you know, think highly of him. <clears throat> I mean, he was former U.S. military. <laughs> I'll say this. Uh, Pena, I think Pena was. I'll bet you that uh, he probably knew a lot more if 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 people had known you know, had the context we have now to ask him better questions. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, for real, man, for real. Well, cool. Thank you for that, Rob. That adds to the uh, studies of that uh, Dallas Action episode. That's awesome. Well, I'm, not, I'm not done yet. Uh-oh, done he ain't yet. done yet. Oh. Sorry about no. that, dude. There's more, sir. There's more. Ah, um, wow. So I there, stepped all over him there, talking, didn't I, guys? He, he's talking about uh, things that uh, – he had heard Brignier say, oh, and he says, be uh, many bad words, you know, uh, about President Kennedy. And uh, Weisberg tells him, well, it's okay to say it, you know. So he says, well, he called uh, 
President Kennedy a motherfucker son of a bitch that he should have bombed Cuba. And while I can't place it exactly in my mind, it was during the Bay of Pigs invasion uh, and the Cuban Missile Crisis. That that's uh, they heard Brindley say this. That's completely yeah. believable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brigay ran with then, a, he ran with a bad he was you know uh, uh, he ran with a bad crowd <laughs> for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. Now he goes on to say uh, they're talking about uh, David Ferry again, and he says he used to go every time I went to the office in the Balter Building. There was Captain Ferry there. He was also very close to Mister Sergio Arcasha that he used to take Arkasha in his own car to Arkasha's house, and they talk about the wonderful meal that he got in Arkasha's house or his wonderful kids and the good time he got with Arkasha's kids playing with him. And uh, he says, did you tell me uh, that he also used to eat at Bringier's house? And he says, did you ever tell me that? And he says, no, I never told you that. Um, he said, but at Arkasha's house, he used to like to go too often. And he says, yeah. Well, you know, that's ironic. Um, uh, you, you brought all this up. Um, all, all of these guys are going to come up in the January, not the not the uh, episode of the Dallas Action that's next, but the January episode. Um, Arcacha Smith, Ferry, Bannister, the Cuban Revolutionary Council. I ran across an interesting document about a guy that came to Garrison's uh, investigators claiming to be a claiming to have been an army intelligence agent who had penetrated the anti-Castro community, uh, including the Habana bar, believe it or not, uh, in 1968. And, uh, it's a very interesting story. And I was able to do a, uh, document dive specifically on this dude and come up with some army intelligence documents and info on him. So look for, look, look for that. Uh, that's all those guys are going to come right in there, uh, in that narrative for real. Matter of fact, I recorded the first half of that episode today. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> before we talk, see now, Ted Rubenstein and I have talked about this. Sometimes, without even trying, you and your research buddies get a synchronicity. Like you know, yeah, you know, and that ever happened? Like you, you just you know, it happens with me and you. We mentioned offhand, you know, hey, I was looking into, could be anything, you know, could be a. Uh, Congo operations or something, and and some of these same people, and oh yeah, I was too, you know, this guy and that kind of thing. So well, it honestly, happened again. Um, when you, uh, I was getting ready to do a show about uh, Pedro Charles and all that. When when you told me you were doing it for the Lancer thing, I just I scrapped it. I didn't I didn't do it. <laughs> well, you shouldn't do that. You should still do the show, Rob. Nah. Because you're going to add the same perspective. And I didn't really go much really deep into the on the Lancer thing. I didn't go as I just kind of said, well, these are the Pedro Charles. This is here's that thing. So I could go deep onto the other set of letters that I that I um, ran across in the files. So so you you probably going to expound on it even more than I did. Maybe I'll see if I can dig them up. Might do it some other time in the future. Hey, anything? So now here, here's where he, he, huh? Anything I can do to to, to get more uh, more of the lone gunman? Anything I can do to encourage that? <laughs> so here's where he starts to bury debris. Okay, he's he's uh, talking about uh, the uh, Carlos Quiroga comes up. Okay, and he says, "Yes, sir. This Quiroga is a very good friend uh, to bring in." Hey. And he was very close to Arkasha. 
He was very close to Akasha. Yes, sir. Warren DeBreeze, which I know of an FBI agency that went plenty as many times I went to the front of I can't half read half this shit. It's in pencil. Uh, he went there too. Oh, don't you hate uh, those? I think, oh, no, meetings. I think he's talking about meetings of the the DRE, okay? And he's saying, okay. would you say 50, 50 times? And Pena says, well, I don't know how many times, uh, how many times I went to the front of the Balter building. There was Warren DeBreez and Captain Ferry, and DeBreez were there together. And then he says, not all the time, because I was told that Captain Ferry was a captain for Eastern Airlines, and sometimes he said that he had to spend one or two days out on his job. And Weisberg said, but you did see the two of them there together. And he says, yes, sir, many times. So he says, in other words, Warren DeBreeze knew David Ferry? And he says, yes, sir. And he says, now you testified two things about Warren DeBreeze. He asked you to give him information on men he felt were pro-Castro, and that you did, correct? And he says, yes, sir. Uh, I was going to the FBI building many, many times and most of the time, I was at different offices, different agencies that went to see me. Yes. But most of the time, it was Warren DeBreeze, who I only knew by Mr. DeBreeze at that time. Do you know of any other names of agents that came to see you? And he says, I think all of them uh, on the paper, but I have some kind of trouble. And Warren DeBreeze defend me by calling the FBI office, and he advised me to get the name of every man who came to talk to me about any matter right yeah so then he says <clears throat> how do you remember when you testified before the warren commission or now do you remember and he says yes sir <clears throat> and he says you remember you told me about an occasion right after that when mr debris threatened you you remember that and he says yes mr debris came to me one morning and called me very early and we got in a verbal argument this time he came all by himself he told me that if i ever have anything to talk about him that he would get my that he would have my ass and he will see that i got hurt yeah man so i've I read that very before. mad and i told yeah. him if he yeah if he wanted to get my behind to come uh to <laughs> to come to the bar and get some <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah uh i guess him and debris got in a big fight and then the uh uh, Weisberg said, but he didn't. And then uh, Pena says, no, he did not. He never came around to fight. So, But he says, this was after you testified before the Warren Commission? And he said, I don't remember if it was before or after. Um, so dude just, just straight threatened to kick an FBI agent's ass. Straight up ready to throw down on an FBI agent. Yeah, yeah. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt a bit. Um, that that debris threatened that guy. I mean, I, I there is um, let's see, there's a thing. You remember the thing I sent you the 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 CBS special, the link I sent you that Ted sent me. You uploaded it on your the Lone Gunman from the Vault thing. It was actually hosted by Dan Rather. Uh, there's yeah. a clip of a, of an interview with Warren Debris in there, just very short. And man, he seems like an asshole, just a mean ass for real. Oh yeah, every uh, every interview, even audio or written, you know, he's 
like for the HSCA, he pretty much was like, no, you know, I don't know anything. I'm not I'm not going to talk about anything. Blah blah blah. But uh, <clears throat> then it goes on to say, uh, Weisberg asked him, right? And you also had a feeling that the organization was involved. And he says, yes, sir. Yep, Captain Ferry, Arkasha Smith, and Warren DeBreez definitely involved in the assassination. And he said, uh, they have a detective agency on the first floor around the corner from 544 Camp Street. And he says, Bannister, the name Bannister is familiar to me. I can't say exactly that I know Bannister. Weisberg says, okay, I might know him, but I can't say exactly. Uh, he had a partner for a while. His name was Hugh Ward, who died in an airplane accident. Um, so he says, and then uh, they say, oh, he's dead. He died of a heart attack in 64. You know, so he, he keeps asking him, you know, what else Welcome do you want to talk about? Arrest, you know? And uh, he talks about his, his barman, you know, who allegedly saw Oswald in the Havana bar one night. Yeah. And uh, got very scared every time Jim Garrison would put like a suspect's picture in the paper. He would he would look at Evie, his, his bartender, be like, "Does this guy look familiar?" And <laughs> scared the shit out of Evie, you know. And yeah, uh, Evie never did talk. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, to anybody. Well, I uh, But won. I just thought it was interesting, you know, all these... Uh, Allegations about Warren DeBreeze, man. Yeah, you know, the guy that followed Oswald to Dallas when he left New Orleans. I, I, I have, I honestly do have no doubt in my mind that that Oswald was talking to DeBreeze, um, in in in, in New Orleans. That, that Pena's probably telling the truth. Um, you know, it just makes sense. He's got to be talking to somebody. You know, everybody, everybody else it saw does. him talking to the FBI. You know, um, and it's like when he got arrested, you know, um, you don't call the FBI when you get arrested by the locals unless you have reason to believe the FBI is going to spring you. Right. Or you right? kind of want to let them know what the hell's going on. Like, you know, why is this guy coming to fight me on the street and I'm getting filmed by people, you know, like by John T. Martin filmed it. The altercation. Oh, he's not the only one that filmed it. Wasn't there um, um, the other news footage, or was that not that same incident that same day? Or am I making a mistake there? No, you're thinking of when he was passing out leaflets in front okay, of the trademark. Not, not the same day. Not the same day. Okay. okay. No. Okay. Yeah, like because somebody alerted Bringier, and it, I don't know who, but somebody 
somebody came into Brigade's store and said, hey, you know, Oswald's over here on the street handing out pro-Cuba, pro-Castro leaflets. Probably our like, Kasha Smith. He said, yeah. you know, it's the same guy that was in here in the store. And so that pissed Brigade off. So he went over there to confront him with his right. brother and somebody else. And, uh, you know, had their little altercation. And I was always like, yeah, go ahead and hit me, Carlos. Hit me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he ends up in jail. And then instead of calling his yeah. wife to bail him out, he says, send me an FBI agent. <laughs> you know, and that sounds like to me somebody who is informing for the FBI. That's your, you know, that's your ace in a hole. Yeah. You ask that always for... intrigued me, man. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because he hadn't actually worked since, what, mid July is when he quit Riley Coffee Company, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the altercation happened on August 9th. You know, then within the next week or two, he's on the radio uh, going against Carlos Brignier, uh, you know, in, in a taped television interview. Man, you know what? And, <sighs> Unless somebody... The DRE was supplying Carlos Brignier with all this information on Oswald. That they were getting yeah. from somebody, somebody, whether it was the FBI or the CIA, or it could have you know, been because, these cats that 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 Claire Booth Luce and this other guy were telling Colby about that had him under surveillance. You know, yeah. And then the night Oswald got arrested, they sent all that stuff to to uh, the FBI. The the interview, you know, it was telling them everything that happened, and they had every everything they had on Oswald was yep. they sent to the FBI. Uh, you know, like the night of the assassination, Bernier and all his buddies. So, you know, given given all that and the fact that you know, okay, well, see now that 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 makes a me think after the assassination. But that makes me think. Like now, did they get threatened like this other bunch out of Florida over what over the information? I mean, it's generally accepted like the DRE and all these guys that it was part of a pre-planned propaganda campaign to, that all of this stuff is supposed to get out about Oswald after the assassination, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost, it's. But what the question that it raises about the stuff about the, 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 the bunch and the info being sent to the FBI that I talked about in that other episode is what is it specifically about this information that the FBI shit canned, buried it, acted like it didn't existed, and then threatened these guys later when they brought it up. You know what's different about that than than the information well, that Brigay and the DRE and said. The public outcry. Yeah, you know, well, I think they were trying to pin all this shit on Cuba. You know, who, whoever the driving force behind all this stuff was. You know, the, the people that were pissed that Kennedy didn't do anything against Cuba and these communists that are 60 miles off our shore. Um, you know, I think they wanted to pin the assassination originally on Castro. Yeah. You know? Well, absolutely. And, absolutely. And, and well. or I think unknowingly Oswald created himself to be the perfect patsy by doing the bidding of, of I guess, you know, you know, I'm assuming Guy Bannister and pretend to be pro Castro. Yeah. You know, to yeah. find out some information or maybe he thought he was doing some undercover work or something. You know, but I was always intrigued about how Oswald got money. See, from the that's time he exactly left what I was company. thinking. 
That's exactly what you made me think when you mentioned Riley a while ago. And it's like he hadn't worked. All right. So how much time has elapsed since Riley to this? Two months? Well, he he didn't know. Well, from Riley to this, you're looking at about a month. Okay. But he didn't actually work until he started the school book depository in mid-October. So right there is three months that he wasn't working. Man, how is he that somebody's paying him to do all this crazy shit? That's the bottom line. And That's he's the common sense thing. To Mexico City. He's traveling to Mexico City. The government would have us cheap. believe that he's doing it all on his own dime, all on his own accord with a baby and a wife, um, you know, and not working. Somebody's yeah. paying him to do this shit, whatever else his motivation. Somebody's paying him, you know. Gotta be. So, you know, we know Ban- we know Bannister's former FBI. We know DeBreeze and Bannister likely knew each other yep. very well. And he's probably reporting back to Bannister and DeBreeze about what these anti-Castro Cubans are doing. You know, or the pro, you know, if he's finding any pro-Castros. You know, but both sides really don't know that they're both being played. You know, yeah, he's a dangle. It's just an information you know? gathering exercise. Yeah, see, I always sort of figured it, and I know this is a simplistic way to look at this, but like, you put him out there as a pro Castro thing, right? Here are the lead, here's here's the flyer. You know, send a self address stamped envelope to this address to get pamphlets. You know, that's what I think he was he was trying to you know free literature and all that. You know, contact us right. here. Well, if somebody sends one in, then they go on a list, their names. You know, right. it's a dangle, it's bait. You know that kind of thing. And I'm, I'm, man, I, every every time I think I get a little bit of this figured out, I get proven wrong. But you know, it, he's some sort of dangle for somebody. You know, ultimately, if it goes all the way up as high as Angleton, I don't know. I don't know. Is he FBI? Is he CIA? Uh, is he both? Man, it's just so much. It's like a Gordian knot. You know. Shit, you can start with yeah. follow the money, like you said, intrigued on where he gets his money. That right there, man, will send you send you down a rabbit hole, you know. Yeah, and I, you know, I was reading all this stuff about <clears throat> Jack Ruby and how he had definitely come into a bunch of money a couple weeks before the assassination. Like, you know, his lawyer before the assassination, you know, he had pretty much gave him money to pay off the IRS and he was telling him, you know, I'm, I'm going to have, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to be buying another club. Money's not an issue anymore. And, you know, when he's arrested, he, he's got three grand in his trunk. He's got like f- five or eight grand in his bank account. I wonder what that you know, translates to, uh, to 2020 money, just having in the trunk three grand. That's, that's, uh, it's a lot of damn money, dude. Maybe ten grand. Oh, more than know? that. More than that. At least bottom. It's got to be at least forty, forty-five. I would think. You know, in the truck. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a lot of money. That's a lot of money to walk away from leaving your car and go down and shoot somebody in front of the entire police department. Man, that's a lot of money to leave in your car anywhere today. That's a lot of money to leave in your car. I think you know. I mean, but he's pretty much kissing it goodbye. Like he's never yeah. going to see it again. You know. Yeah, and and why wouldn't he? Why he's got to w- know he's walking into a, something he ain't going to walk out of. Why in the hell would you leave 
Yeah, man. You know you're not. You know this is going down. You know you're gonna walk. You'll never be back. You know <clears throat> to just abandon yeah, three mean, G's. You might. You might even be killed after you shoot Oswald. You might get shot by the cop. I mean, he doesn't know he's gonna get wrestled down to the ground and have his gun taken away. They could easily just shot his ass and killed him. I think in that situation, that's what I would expect. In that in that situation, I would expect to be straight up popped. Yeah, and the and the very last thing that he's talking to arrest Pena about is is somebody from the customs house, right? Which is uh, in New in New Orleans, who uh, he said had come to talk to him about some things. A man by the name of Harry Crayford, Doug, and, and you can see Weisberg say, "What? Who did you say?" And he says, Harry Crayford. Are you kidding me? Really? I'm not kidding. (laughs) And he says, how do you spell the last name? And he says, C-R-A-F-F-O-R-D. Harry Crayford. And what did Harry Crayford talk to Orespeña about? He threatened him that if he he talked about anything, uh, he would regret it. No shit. Harry Crayford. Larry Crayford. Very interesting. Very interesting. Now, for those who might not know out there in the audience, real quick, explain who Larry Crayford was. Well, Larry Crayford was the uh, boy Friday for Jack Ruby there at the Carousel Club, who was mistaken by many as Oswald. I mean, that could have been who Dan Rather saw in the Carousel Club and mistook (laughs) Larry Crayford to be uh, (laughs) Lee Oswald. I Uh, think that... Over the years on the on the uh, Lone Gunman podcast, you've brought up Larry Crayford um, a lot, and I you've pretty well uh, a lot of these Oswald sightings or alleged Oswald sightings um, in and around Dallas are probably Crayford, especially the ones with with a, a great many of them where people think they saw Crayford with Ruby. I think or not Crayford, but Oswald with Ruby are probably Crayford, right even inside or outside the carousel club. You right. Know? Um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of sightings and, and I'm sure, I'm sure Crayford was doing some dirty shit for Ruby, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, hell, he might've even been the guy that shot Tippett. He might've had Oswald ID on him and the, the wallet went down. He shot cause he used to, you know, we have pictures of him wearing the Eisenhower type jackets. Like the type oh, yeah. that was found. Yeah. Uh, by Tippett's killer, and, know, it, and it's a light under that car. It's a really light color too. That jacket yeah. in that picture of Crayford that I've seen. I think on those old Lone Gunman podcast T-shirts, it's that picture, right? Yeah, yeah, yep, that's yeah. the one. That's the one. And Harry it was from Crayford, California, made in California, or something like that. It had uh, and, and of course Crayford came down through California on his way to Texas. Uh, um, you know, so there's a lot of things pointing to that. And before that, you know, he was a hitman for the for the mob in San Francisco. So he, he wouldn't be uh, too afraid to pull the trigger on somebody, even if it was a cop, and think twice about it. You know what I mean? Man, there are a lot of stone-cold killers um, associated tangentially with this story, man. There's no doubt. <laughs> yeah. <And he laughs> yeah, also, man, that's, he's just another he one, you know? He also bounced very quickly out of Dallas, uh, uh, the morning of November 
uh, 23rd, 1963, Dude. and made his way to bumfuck Massachusetts. Homeboy cut a trail, did he not? Yeah. Yeah. And they they were looking for him, and they tracked him down, and all that stuff. So, yeah. And very he took off and went northeast. To his sister's house, yeah. He took off and went northeast. That's interesting. Because, uh, you know what? I, I I have. In- oh no, I'm sorry. It was Michigan, Michigan, Michigan. Yeah, but Michigan. still, that's northeast. I'm yeah. thinking about like trajectory, you know, on the map, and that Harry L. Power Mauser that was left in Iowa, or no, no, was it Indiana? Indiana. Yeah, it was in Indiana, Terre Haute, Indiana. The Mauser that was left in the yeah. hotel room, disassembled and wiped down. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't uh, Crayford have to come right through there? Yep. Yeah. Uh huh. Isn't Iowa kind of like in between the two? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Or do I, I have my map. geography wrong? I don't know. It's been many years since elementary school, my friend. Yes, I know. And who the hell ever pays any attention to Iowa for anything anyway? Let's, uh, let's no, be honest. You know, every four years they get their caucus, they fade away. <laughs> um, All right, Doug, what you got? Uh, well, you know what, man? I found I, I actually uh, uh, started to talk about this in a, in a Dallas Action episode about five years ago, and uh, quickly got distracted. <laughs> but it went off on a tangent and and, and never did. Um, I have, sir, a document that I wanted to run by you now. First, um, I want to. Okay, first, let me read to you from this here document. I'll read you what it is. This is a Bureau of Chief Postal Inspectors report, Rob, of December 4th, 1963, Fort Worth, Texas. They are Fort Worth, Texas postal inspectors. And this is a report subject cooperation with various agencies. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Resulting from the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Um, What this is, it's a report. These guys are summarizing the assistance they were asked to give and that they subsequently did lend to, like, the FBI and the Secret Service Right after the assassination, you know, in their their investigation around Dallas and around Texas. Um, now, but before I go any further, let me ask you a question, okay? Okay, shoot. What is your just real quick encapsulate it for me? What is your understanding for the, for the audience? You know, a, a, by way of explanation, 
your understanding of Lee Oswald's Russian language ability? Or rather, what is your understanding of the generally accepted and understood level of Mr. Oswald's Russian language ability? Well, it varies person to person, but in general, um, some say it was very good. His spoken English, or I'm sorry, spoken Russian, uh, written Russian, not the greatest, but could, you know, get by. Okay. Um, I would, I don't know about how well he understood Russian. Uh, of course, you know, living in Russia for almost two and a half years, you, you, you would definitely get better, you know, for sure. It just depends on what period of time we're talking here. Now, after he got back, you know, and some of the stuff that was found written in Russian, uh, I, I thought it may be too good. Like maybe somebody more adept at it, like uh, Ruth Payne might have written it. But there, there you know, is some of that. Yeah, as a matter who's of the fact, man? yeah, I would say that my understanding of of the say the the historical research community's understanding of Oswald's Russian ability is that most people, especially even on our side of the fence will tell you that he was self-taught and he was fluent in both spoken and written Russian. I mean, don't you think if you ask a general, somebody in the research community, that's, that's sort of the, that's the idea that most people have. Yeah, but let me ask you one question. If you were fluent and written and speaking spoken Russian and you were writing to the Russian embassy, wouldn't you write your letter in Russian? That's a damn good point. Absolutely. English? Absolutely. Well, cuz we all know that he sucked at English. So, <laughs> at, dude, don't get ahead of me, Rob. <laughs> don't get ahead of me, okay. buddy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm getting there, man. I'm getting there. That's the point I was going to make here. Um, you read my mind, but, uh, okay. But this document is basically, it's that it's, um, it's like a, like a summation of activities by these postal inspectors, um, in their capacity in assisting the secret service and, 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 and other, and the FBI basically, but these guys were helping out the secret service. Okay. And there's, here's an example. Okay. They, they went around and interviewed, I guess. So, um, because of the FBI, how much manpower they, I guess, were putting on the ground. Maybe I imagine manpower was uh, uh, a little a little stretched at that point, right after the assassination, wouldn't you think? Uh, but these guys were interviewing. They went out and interviewed all of the postal carriers that had any contact with any Oswald mail. Right? Is that that they fanned out on the twenty second? They went to Irving, Texas. It says here, and it says. We checked out mailing addresses that might have been used by one Lee Oswald, our action being prompted by a request from the U.S. Secret Service. Um, Let's see. Then they interviewed substitute mail carrier C.A. Fullwood, who had been carrying the route serving 2515 West 5th Street, and that's the Payne residence. 
Um, ah, yes. Yeah. For a two-week period preceding November 22nd, he stated that he had not observed the forwarding order, blah, blah, blah. They, they, they interviewed this other one, a guy named Davis, um, another postal carrier. Davis stated that he had continued to leave Oswald's mail in the letterbox at 2515, no forwarding order being observed. He could not recall any specific pieces of mail for Oswald. Um, Davis recalled that Mrs. Ruth Payne mentioned to him during the middle of September 63 that, quote, we've been on vacation for two months, unquote. Uh, Davis went on to say <laughs> that from <laughs> what? Well, uh, well, OK, I, I'll pause. What? Uh, yeah, she was all over the damn place for two months, wasn't she? But that's September. So that's July, August. OK, so, yeah, July and August. That's when she traveled up north, right? Yeah, I mean, because she was picking up Marina yeah. out of New Orleans. Um, was it that near near to the like middle of September or something like that? Yeah. The end, end, end of September. Here's the interesting part of this passage. You ready? He I'm says, ready. Davis went on to say, now it says, Ruth Payne mentioned to him during the middle of September 63 that we'd been on vacation for two months. Davis went on to say that from the time he took over the route, latter part of July until the middle of September, he had continued to place mail for the Paynes and Oswalds in the box at 2515 West 5th Street. Okay. So... I guess that's mail that's from the from from before the Oswalds left Dallas in April. <laughs> you know who the hell knows? I mean, because I, they didn't get back. But until, Oswald was pretty good about forwarding his mail to his next PO box or whatever the case may. This guy's saying been, that there know? was no forwarding order being observed, and that Oswald was getting all his mail at Ruth Payne's place and not in New Orleans. Huh. He was, well, I mean, we know he was getting mail in New Orleans, right? So he was yeah, getting I mean, mail in both. Box. He was getting both mail in both places. That's interesting. Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, here's another interesting thing uh, I noticed here. Um, they um, interviewed a guy named G.P. Schneider, a retired postal employee, but he had no information that would be of value to the investigation. Uh, but um, he was contacted and stated that he might have some information that would be of value to authorities investigating the assassination. It was learned, however, that Schneider was not a retired postal employee. As first indicated, Mr. and Mrs. Schneider reside in the second house East of 25 West 5th, only a vacant house between the two residences. Uh, says Mr. Snyder said that he had seen Lee Oswald in front of the residence at 2515 West 5th Street on the preceding night at approximately 6 p.m. This would have been on the night of November 21st, 1963. Schneider stated that Oswald was with his older child, a boy. <laughs> a boy. Then... Schneider, get this, told us that Mrs. Ed Roberts of 2519 West 5th had told him that Oswald had taken a large package to work with him on that morning, the day of the assassination. Mrs. Roberts' information, according to Schneider, had come from one Willie Randall. 
of 2439 West 5th Street. Randall had driven Oswald to work on the morning of November 22nd. Schneider stated he understood both Randall and Oswald were employed by the Texas School Book Depository. Now, look, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's Buell Frazier's brother-in-law. Randall is, right? Correct. Okay, so this yeah, Schneider, yeah. this is probably a uh, uh, an example of the neighborhood gossip uh, chain getting some shit mixed up. <laughs> by by right. that afternoon, right. it wasn't Frazier, it was Randall. You know, they right. just, uh, that kind of thing, right? Okay, yep. here we go. To the meat, as you say, sir. Uh, to the meat, this part. On December 2nd, 1963, East Post, they said, we were in the Postal Inspector's Office at Dallas, Texas at approximately 6.30 p.m. A call was received from Secret Service agent Robert Stewart, and he requested assistance from the inspection service mentioning that secret service inspector kelly was requesting the assistance we immediately went to the secret service office inspector kelly stated that a letter had come into the custody of the secret service same having been written in russian by oswald to his wife this particular letter had been written prior to the assassination uh, I lost my place. And the wording indicated that there might be a sudden permanent separation between Oswald and his wife. Inspector Kelly stated that Oswald apparently, and here we go, did not have an ability to express himself in Russian in written form. And consequently, the letter was very, very difficult to read. So my question is, doesn't this... Uh, uh, isn't this something else that, that casts a little doubt on Lee Oswald being fluent in Russian? I would say very much so. Now, yeah. that, that there's a lady that uh, swears up and down she knew Oswald very well. And she will tell you that dude is fluent in Russian in one breath, put a comma in that sentence, and then talk about how they used to practice and quiz with uh, flashcards in Russian. So... My, I was always like, okay, is he fluent or is he not? You know, right? Um, but I've—that's my—that's what I'm saying is, there's more than one indication that he probably wasn't as fluent in Russian as a lot of people would would lead us to believe. I guess is what I'm saying, right? You know, right. Um, I I just don't think, and here's why. And I told this story on the Dallas Action years ago. Uh, I knew this teacher. He was a middle school uh, vice principal, and I knew that his background was instructing in foreign languages, right? Now, he wasn't fluent in Russian, but French, German, Spanish, Latin, I think. You know, he was, right? Smart guy. And he, at one point, taught foreign languages at a university here in the Middle Tennessee area. And I knew this about the dude, and I knew he was kind of cool, so I took just... 11 sentences out of that Oswald historic Russian diary thing, you know, yeah. <laughs> that he wrote in English. Yeah. And in 11 sentences, there were 26 misspelled words in English. Right. And I, wow. I yeah, yeah, dude, I took these 11 sentences and 
I, I knew I was going to be at a school function where the guy was, and he was cool. So I started in asking him about his, you know, background. He's like, yeah, I taught this. I taught that he's fluent in all this. So he knows a lot about it, even though he doesn't – it's not like a Russian speaker, right? He knew how many – and I can't remember now how many different letters there are in the in that Cyrillic alphabet. It's something insane, like, like, like 72 or some damn thing. I don't know. I can't remember now. He knew that. But I tell you what I did. I knew he was a smart dude, right? And he knew languages, right? And he knew people and he knew he's a teacher. So I said, do me a favor. And he, it's fun. The funny part is, is like he made this like scrunch up sort of face. Like when you smell something about, you know, three sentences into reading it, you know, like what the fuck is this guy handed? Cause I didn't tell him who it was, yeah. right? I didn't yeah. tell him who it was. He had no context for these sentences that I gave him, right? And I said, yeah. just top of your head, tell me about this individual, about his ability with 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 a foreign language. He goes, what foreign language? I said, Russian. <laughs> and he goes, are you kidding me? <laughs> he goes, I, I said, now, keep in mind, this guy is, and I said 20 years old. He might not have been exactly 20 years old at the time. He might have been 21, 22, whatever. But I said, he's 20, 21 years old, you know. Um, and at 20, 21 years old, he's supposed to be fluent in Russian. And he goes, no damn way. He goes, this, he goes, you're telling me this guy's 20, 21 years old. I said, yeah. He said, this is arrested development. He said, he is C plus like nine, eight, nine, ten years old, third, fourth grade right there. <laughs> and that's where his ability with English stopped. He said, and you can tell me he's going to master Russian written and spoken by himself? I said, yeah. He goes, no way. He goes, it's like this. And this is the way he put it to me. He goes, imagine you got a flat tire on the road. I said, okay. He said, imagine you got a flat tire on the road and you're going to change that tire with a sledgehammer and a screwdriver. That's all you've got to change that tire, a sledgehammer and a screwdriver. He said, it's impossible. Why is it impossible? Because you don't have the proper tools. He goes, if you're telling me this guy, this is how he he writes and spells in his native language at the age of 20, 21 years old. And you expect me to believe that he's fluent in Russian? I'm going to tell you he can't because he doesn't possess the tools. He doesn't have the right tools in his toolbox. Arrested development. Yeah. It made total sense, total sense to me. And the thing about it is the guy didn't have a dog in the hunt. You know, he didn't, he wasn't a, 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 one of us at all. He had no idea who we were talking about or the context. Just look at these sentences written in English by this 20, 21 year old man. Tell me. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
Auto Parts. What you can tell me about him and his probable ability with surreal aggression. And he pretty much just laughed at me. Like, dude, you're crazy. And yeah, that's he, uh, that's pretty bad. And here's more, you know, here's more evidence right here. You know, these guys are again that Oswald apparently did not have an ability to express himself in Russian in written form, and consequently the letter was difficult to read. Which goes back to your point about the other letters. You know, wouldn't you just if you were fluent in Russian, wouldn't you just write them in Russian? Exactly. I mean, you're writing to the Russian embassy. <laughs> there you go. And if you can prove a fluency, I, I would think that that would be like in the the good checkmark column. Like if they were going to, you know, if they're going to, they might let me back. Well, you know, well, hey, yeah. the dude, he knows the language anyway, you know. And then, yeah. but they're, they're probably sitting around making fun of his English misspellings too. Like, pff, look at this guy, you know, what adult. Um, but that's yeah. what I, that's what I had there, Mr. Rob. That was my big, uh, big topic there, homie. I am I, Rob. I'm having mouse problems over here. It doesn't want to light up. Hang on, you're going to give me a minute. Let me make this is what happens when you buy a jelly comb mouse off of Amazon, guys. This is what happens. It just, <laughs> it just gives. Oh, it didn't give. Okay, there we go. We got it working now. We got it working. Well, Mr. Rob. Um, yes, sir. We uh, together we managed to create a kerfluffle. Is that how you say that word, or is it a kerfuffle? Yeah, a small one. A small kerfuffle. Yeah, kerfuffle. Kerfuffle. There was a, well, you know what? I guess we should we should introduce this topic uh, or this segment properly, guys. This right here is a segment that Mr. Rob and I like to call. Who will allow me to retort? Yes. How do you guys like that slow jazz? That's the girl from Ipanema. This is Allow Me to Retort. This is the segment where Rob and I, if there's something that comes at us or through us or by us or about us or for us across the Internet in one form or another, and it's a little goofy, a little nasty, well, or, or, or combative, we respond. Allow yep. me to retort. We are going to now turn the table, not turn the table, Turn the floor. Turn the floor and the microphone over to Rob. He would like to begin today's retorts. Rob. <clears throat> yes. Well, we. Uh, I was inspired by you and your show and, and the show you did about Fletcher Prouty to uh, dig a little deeper and uh, do a show on Fletcher Prouty for the Midnight Rider News Show. And uh, somebody uh, posted it on the Ed Forum. A uh, link to my show. So the folks there, not, not all of them. Um, there are some very intelligent, uh, reasonable people there. Uh, but there was some people who don't take kindly to calling Fletcher Prouty a liar. <laughs> <laughs> so. you, you think? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, allow me to introduce my co-host, Captain Obvious. Yes. Now, <laughs> hey, I caught I a little say, bit of that uh, kerfuffle on on when I when I did the first show. And look, now let me say this too, man. Somebody posted that link to that show recently. A, a, a very 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 loyal listener, and I thank him for that. But now he he put in the comment there that Fletcher Prouty had been debunked by you and I, 
And let me preface all this by saying that I didn't debunk Prouty. I just read some shit. You know, I don't think I, I didn't debunk him, but I, I think I raised some valid questions. Yeah, I'll say that. Yeah, I would say that the investigation done by the ARRB debunked. I would say Fletcher Prouty debunked Fletcher Prouty. See, uh, that's just the thing, bluntly. man. That's that's the whole thing. I mean, he he contradicted himself. You know, he contradicted, he contradicted everything that he has ever written in print, in books, in forwards, uh, and in Oliver Stone's ear. Okay, because it's quite obvious from watching the movie JFK that the scene between Jim Garrison and Mr. X comes straight out of Prouty's mouth. I mean, the colonel's name is mentioned, Colonel Reich. Of the 112th Military Intelligence Group, blah, 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 and on down the line, you know, presidential protection wasn't given. They were told to stand down, blah, 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 blah. Okay? This all, I mean, Oliver Stone didn't pull this shit out of thin air. It was told to him by Fletcher Prouty, period, end of discussion. Okay? Verbatim. I mean, Oliver Stone didn't even change the colonel's name. Okay, folks? Colonel Reich. Now, the ARB <laughs> pulled in Fletcher Prouty, okay, who contradicted everything that he's ever said. Uh, they interviewed Colonel Wright, okay, um, who contradicted everything Fletcher Prouty's ever said. Uh, doesn't know the man from Adam, has heard his theories, and thinks he's smoking some of the good shit, okay? Uh <laughs> Well, now, now, like, like, um, when I when I did my show, which which was titled uh, "Diversionary Ramblings and Imagined Scenarios," the, the L. Fletcher Prouty and the JFK hit. Here's the thing: there were three main tenets, man. That the guy, it's and it's in his book. It's in his book. It's in his book. Right. I have always wondered if there was a sinister reason that they sent me on that strange Antarctica trip. You know. Right. And then he tells the ARRB when they ask him, you know, they ask him specifically, was it sinister? You know, and he says, like, I have I have it right here. Uh, at least as far back as 1959 with the organization that works underneath the White House on Antarctic projects, it was a duty I had to work. Something, it didn't come up, but I'd been doing it since 1959. It was so routine for them to call me, I didn't give it a second thought. And this is the key part. And even afterward, when I heard people extrapolating in that sense that it wasn't my job and that there were sinister reasons for sending me, they didn't know I'd already been working with Antarctica people since 1959. That's the key right there. All right. All I did was <clears throat> I read that passage of his book and then I read what he told the ARRB. Same way with his with his experience. Or, or 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 expertise in presidential protection. He tells the ARRB, "Look, I've never even seen the Secret Service manual. I don't know anything about presidential protection. All I and he tells him straight up, the only thing I've ever had to do with presidential protection was one trip when I flew the Secret Service advance team down to Mexico City for Eisenhower in 1958 or 1955. 55 is when it was." Um, well, that 
belays everything he ever put in his book about his duties and his regular duties with presidential protection. What was he, what what were his duties as far as augmentation of the Secret Service? None of that ever happened. None of that ever happened. Right. <laughs> it just didn't happen. Um, right. And all I did was ask the question, basically, on my show. You know, he says this in his book, in the movie, in all these speeches he gave, in interviews, in, in columns that he wrote for magazines. But when he gets the opportunity to go in front of official gov- an official government body and, and, and back it up, he crawfishes on every single point. Right. Every single point. And, Doug, I just happened to have another interview sent to me by our mutual friend, Mr. Bart Camp. Mr. Bart. Malcolm Blunt Archives. And it is another interview done by the ARRB. Yeah. So they they interviewed Prouty. They interviewed Reich. Well, they also called this guy in, a man by the name of William McKinney. Okay? Yeah. Now, William McKinney... uh, let me see here. Okay. Through the course of his writings, Fletcher Prouty never named his acquaintance in the 112th or 316th uh, intelligence groups. In our interview with him on September the 24th, 1996, Prouty also declined to name the person. He even went as far as saying that he didn't see the person's name on the roster we provided him. A few months later, after our interview with him, however, on the Fletcher Prouty reference website, Prouty abruptly named his source as one William McKinney, formerly of the 112th INTC group. Prouty references him as such as it turns out McKinney was attached actually to the 316th. Obviously, we felt it important to contact McKinney ourselves and hear what he had to say. So, on May the 1st, 1997, uh, a telephone interview was conducted with William McKinney of Erie, Pennsylvania. Doug Horn, our buddy, was also present taking notes and suggesting questions. The interview was cordial and friendly. McKinney confirmed for us that he was a member of the 316th Detachment, not the 112th, as Prouty cites, and in November of 63, he was a private first class who had just completed basic training and was attending intelligence training at Fort Holliburg, Maryland. It is important to note that McKinney had not yet reported to the 316th by the date of November 22nd in 1963 and was not even in Texas. McKinney's title at the 316th was Intelligence Coordinator. He says it was a fancy title for a clerk typist. (laughs) The 316th was, according to McKinney, a strategic air command unit which painted rocks when we weren't doing anything else. McKinney has run-of-the-mill recollections of the day of the shooting. However, he said that when he reported to the 316th in January of 64, he found that there were still people who were upset, angry, or just unhappy that the 112th had been told that perimeter security wasn't needed by them. He said that there were hard feelings about that for some time afterward. He didn't say the 112th had in the past provided any type of perimeter security for a president or check things out, in quotes, when other visiting dignitaries were in the area if the 112th was needed. I asked him if the 300th 16th had ever performed such a function, and he said they never had. 
Theoretically, this would have been the responsibility of the 112th. Later, I presented him with two alternatives and asked him which he felt was more accurate. One, that the 112th could have provided extra security, not primary security, mind you, only supplemental perimeter security, and just was told that it would not be necessary, or two, that the 112th should have been providing security as part of its regular duties and was specifically told to stand down. He was fairly emphatic that the second option did not occur, and he believed that the first option was far more likely. McKinney stated something that we have heard repeatedly from intelligence personnel in Texas from that period, that there was a lot of what could be called jealous rivalry among the different branches of intelligence at the time. Um, To skip around, McKinney remembered both Colonel Reich and Major Cabaza as his CO and XO, respectively, asked how closely he worked with them. He said that he was in the outer office and they were in the inner office. Okay. Regarding regarding Fletcher Prouty, McKinney did acknowledge telephonically contacting him after the assassination. However, it was in 77 or 78, and it was on a matter unrelated to the JFK assassination. By that time, McKinney was a newspaper reporter in Erie, Pennsylvania. He was doing a story on a series of derailings which might have been caused by unsafe track conditions, and he called either Amtrak or Conrail, I can't remember which, and asked to speak to their PR person. And Fletcher Prouty got on the phone. (laughs) They talked for some time about the rail case and then began conversing on other subjects. Prouty's interest in the assassination came up, and McKinney mentioned that he had been in the 316th. McKinney proceeded to tell Prouty the same story he told us, that the people in his unit wondered why that... They had been told they weren't needed and that they could have provided extra security had they been asked. They discussed nothing classified, McKinney said, and this was the only occasion McKinney ever spoke to. McKinney said when he saw the film JFK, he recognized elements of his story in the Mr. X scenario told by Donald Sutherland. He said, however, that the movie got it wrong. I asked what he meant, and he said that the film had it ass backwards, in quotes. He mentioned... (laughs) Small details like Reich's rank and unit. He is called a full colonel in the film in charge of the 112th. In reality, he was a lieutenant colonel and was CO of the 316th. I asked him whether he would characterize the version of his story that appears in JFK as accurate or inaccurate, and he immediately responded, inaccurate. Um, Yeah, so I read McKinney some quotes that Prouty attributes to him on his website and asked if he remembered saying them. McKinney responded that while he did not remember saying them and that it didn't sound like something that he would say, that he could not categorically state that he never did say them. Uh, I'm a reporter and I'm used to getting quotes from people and I know how this works, he said, meaning that he knows that sometimes people say things they later don't recall having said. Nonetheless, he did not remember saying the words attributed to him. In closing, I asked McKinney if he had anything he would like to add. He said, said, yeah, that I wish it had been anybody except Fletcher Prouty that answered my call at Amtrak that day. (laughs) (laughs) Touche there. And he says, furthermore, uh, after I complete a follow-up report on this and summary, I believe we can close 
out this facet of our military teamwork. We have done all the work necessary with 112, 316th, and the Fletcher, Fletcher Prouty allegations that we can do. So that is was the conclusion of the ARRB's interview of Fletcher Prouty. Well, you know, it's 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 interesting because I, I followed along a little bit uh, on um, that education forum thread. Um, uh, and and that's that's the thing. It's it's it, the bottom line is like this guy. There's one guy here. He he says, um, you know. So speaking out after 30 years, and even consulting on a movie which highlighted his claims, all of that became a moot point when he later backtracked on the statements he made in the book to this government body. And how do people not understand that? There's one cat on this thread that keeps over and over again in this thread telling you and a, and, and a couple other people, you need you need to go back and read Prouty's book. You need to go back and read Prouty's book. And, and over and over again, people go, dude, that's what we're talking about. You know, <laughs> it's been cited. Yeah. It's been cited word for word, and his contradiction has been cited word for word. And my question is just, just like, because somebody writes it in a book does not make it gospel. And you know what it makes it when they later get up in front of a government body and completely 100% contradict what they put in their book? You know what that makes it? What? Questionable at the very least. Yeah. And the something else least. questionable that was brought up on this thread about Fletcher Prouty. Um, was his identification of Edward Lansdale in Dealey Plaza and his subsequent backing of this allegation by General Krulak, right? Oh, yeah. Krulak so, um, wrote the letter. Because, um, he has shown people this letter. Was this letter handwritten right. or was it typed? It was typed, okay? And it was on the worst fucking, uh, <laughs> what, did they, what did they call that? Uh, you know, uh, Letterhead. It was here. Here's the letterhead. Doug. Picture this, okay? The words Victor Krulak, centered at the very top of the paper. Yeah. And then it says, "Dear Fletch." Okay, so you're telling me a, a general, a full-on retired general of the United States Army, is going to have this shitty typed letterhead that anybody could do? Okay. And the whole letter was typed. Except for the signature. Right. Which can right. be forged very easily. Not saying he did, but I, immediately when I saw somebody else online say, oh, well, I've seen the letter. You know, I thought, well, was it typed? Right. You know? Well, what what leads me to believe that the letter was fake to support Proudy's allegations? Okay. All right. Now, what makes that, you what makes you believe, Rob? What is the okay, one piece of a, evidence that makes you think that that letter was not authentic? A he made up a lot of shit before this Victor Krulak. Okay, that he did not support when he was interviewed by the ARRB. He had said a bunch of shit already. It was out there in public. The problem is Fletcher Prouty never had any kind of documentation or anything to back any of his claims up. Until he decided to pull this letter out, okay, and and you know immediately bomb Edward, or, yeah, Ed Lansdale as being in Dealey Plaza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, 
<clears throat> our friend Bart sent me some audio from the Malcolm Blunt archives. Actually, no, the Harry Livingston Audio archives. from the Harry Livingston this is, archives. Yes, this was an interview done by Harry Livingston with Victor Krulak in 1991. Okay. okay? I'm so, going to play it for you right here on the air, sir. You broke up just a little there in the end, so I want the listeners to know this is an interview. This is audio, Rob. Yes. An audio interview with Victor Krulak done in 1991. 1991. Okay. Yep. And he speaks glowingly of, of Fletcher Prouty, except for one small thing. And you'll hear. So here we go. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. Jumping right to uh, almost to the queue of what we're going to talk about is this will be about 10 seconds in front of the queue so but it'll give you uh just a little bit i mean it's a nine minute clip so we're just going to listen to the part that that, that uh talks about ed lansing on dealey plaza here we go all right lay it on it i mean he, uh, absolutely uh, I, I regard him as as sound solid respectable and honorable yeah now he's talking about fletcher prouty right there okay I, so he talks glowingly about the man an honorable man. Okay, yeah. He says that in some of the photographs taken in Dewey Plaza just after the murder, in the background, he believes that he sees uh, uh, Lansdale. Yes, yes, he has told me that. Yeah. Uh, I have no, I, I couldn't corroborate it because yeah. I don't, don't have any independent uh, uh, information or evidence. Would you, did you know Lansdale at all? Sure. <clears throat> Would you have any reason to suspect that he might have been involved in We're getting into something else, but that, that was Victor Krulak pretty much saying that he knows about the Prouty allegations about Ed Lansdale being in Dealer Plaza, but right. he, he doesn't know anything about it. What he didn't say was... And he cannot corroborate it. That is what he said. He, I cannot corroborate well, what's glaring at me is what he didn't say was, well, yeah, that is Ed. As a matter of fact, I once wrote to Fletcher and told him, I believe that's Ed in Dealey Plaza. That exactly. was consp That's conspicuously damn missing from that statement. Now, you, you hear the man. He's very lucid, even though he's getting up there in age... In 1991. Yeah, it's not like he went, uh, I like you know, he Fletcher. Knew and I like cheese. You know, he's not off his rocker. He's very lucid. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and he obviously remembers who Ed Lansdale is. And, you know, he's a very mysterious man, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, he didn't jump, He didn't say, you know, I looked at that picture, and I saw the way he was walking, and I saw his haircut, and I saw his ring, and I thought to myself, damn, that looks like Ed Lansdale. He did not say that. No, he, he did not. No, he did not. 
I wonder, I, you know, it's funny to track the chronology of this stuff. Uh, I wonder when that, when he, when he finally did show people that letter, what year it was. How does that, where does that fall chronologically with Victor Krulak's passing? Be interesting right. to know. I don't know that. I mean, the letter was allegedly written in 1985. Now, right, but when did when did when did this letter, you know, go well, public? It Didn't, had to be. It, it couldn't have came out until he had his Fletcher Prouty reference site or whatever the hell it was, in in like ninety, the mid nineties. Yeah. So I don't know exactly when Krulak passed. I'm sure I could Google it um, and see. Let me do that real quick. Well, yeah, you know, you like like in ninety one, in ninety one, he's saying it's n- no, nah, that's not him. That, that I'm not right. even aware of that. You know, um, I have no way, no way, absolutely no way of corroborating that allegation. Um, so if the letter's written in eighty five, that's six years. That's well, yes, in fact, he he asked me if that looked like it and i i, I agreed with him uh, in a correspondence 6 years ago or whatever or okay you know i mean so it, that that's he died, not there. he died in 2008 he died in 2008 oh well that letter's but, been out there for a lot longer than that right right but you got to figure the guy was born in 1913 okay so in 1993 he would have been 80 years old so by 1996 or seven, eight or nine, by the time this letter maybe got online, he would have been in his mid eighties. You know, he lived to be 95. Yeah. And, you know, at this point, who, can, who who's really going to get to Victor Krulak and ask him about this damn stupid letter? You know, I mean, he could have been infirmed for the last 10 years of his life in a nursing home. Man, who knows? You know, you know what I mean? Who knows? But. Who knows? But um, that is, uh, you know, that that is very clear. That's very, very clearly audio of Victor Krulak um, not agreeing with Fletcher Prouty's ID of Lansdale yeah, and Dealey Plaza. Yeah, the ARRB did not contact Victor Krulak. Um, or maybe they did and he declined. Or maybe he couldn't come to see them or he didn't want anything to do with it. Who knows? Um, you know, but the ARRB was created to collect and uh, documents. Okay, so if Fletcher Prouty would have had this letter in 1985 from Victor Krulak, you know, basically stating that this is definitely at Lansdale and Dealey Plaza, then you would have think that Fletcher Prouty would have given that document, that type letter, to the ARRB, or at least taken it to to have as an exhibit at his testimony. Maybe. Yeah. He gave the ARRB no documentation whatsoever for anything that he's ever said. Well, even beyond that, he gave the ARRB contradictory information to everything that he's ever said. All of his major tenets of his Which tells me that that letter was fake as hell. Well, you know what? I... That's Victor Krulak talking, and and you know, um, you would think he would he would. I mean, it's not like he disavowed the letter, but he certain nobody he certainly didn't acknowledge its its existence or its or its being written. You know, but I mean, my thing with like with Prouty, 
it, it was th- these contradictions in the in the ARRB stuff. I mean, that that's huge to me. <laughs> that's it's like, oh, yeah. come on, you well, know. I mean, Krulak said, you know, he, that he was aware of the allegations of Lansdale and Dealey Plaza, and he said that they were made by Prouty, not him. Right, and he also said that he has no way to corroborate that, which is the exact right. opposite of. I saw a picture and corroborated that with Fletcher. You know, that's right. the opposite of that. It's like the thing with the with the ballistics testimony and 399 and the test bullets, you know. Significantly different means significantly different. It means way, yeah. way not the same, you know. And But this crushes the hopes and dreams of all the people that watched the movie JFK and nah. had this big grand conspiracy. Conspiracy in their head, but the you know CIA, what? the military intelligence, blah blah blah. I gotta tell you, I you still know? love that movie. Oh my goodness, I love that movie. Yeah, love that movie. I can but always watch that movie. Their dreams man. of of it being the way that it's said in the movie. You know, well, the there was a lot of creative license taken down. in the movie. You know, and it's like the with the proudest well, stuff. Yeah. You know, that oh well, look, General Y sent me. Well, General Y is supposed to be Lansdale. Well, we know that didn't happen. You know that 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 no, that was his regular yeah, duty. He was Lansdale he was, retired. Lansdale retired in October of 1963. Yeah. So how the fuck did he send you to Antarctica in November of 63? Oh well, on, and, especially when it was was your regular duties, you know. And then right. and then he we're, we're, all the stuff about presidential protection and 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 he really he just didn't do that. He just didn't do that, guys. He just didn't do that. He didn't do it. And he told and look, the ARRB no, he didn't do it. Look, hindsight's twenty twenty when it comes to presidential protection, okay? There hadn't been a legitimate attempted assassination on a president in many, many years. Well, it doesn't take a, it doesn't take a genius to look like you said, hindsight's twenty twenty. It doesn't take a genius to take a cursory look at if you take a cursory look as we have, you don't have to look very long to see that presidential protection was lax and lacking that day. That doesn't take an expert, you know, um, at all. Right. But they did. They didn't te- technically do all of that shit in 63. Like they didn't put some a sniper on every rooftop. They didn't nail windows down. They didn't weld uh, manhole cover. Can down. you imagine you know, the it manpower? Wasn't until after the manpower yeah, and ridiculous. time it would take to go through that to through a downtown downtown motorcade route and nail every window shut on every building along the route and right. it's that's a pipe dream that's some bs no yes. that don't happen you know okay here's the thing about have you ever rob in your life tried to lift a manhole cover Yes. All right. Do you know what? Do you know what manholes are for? They are to allow people to maintain underground utilities. Okay. If you go through it now, now in, if you really pay attention and count how many manholes there are in a city, right? How many there truly are? Like counting three blocks, right? In in a three block, you're going to count several. Here's the thing: if you go through and weld every manhole cover shut. Somebody's got to come right back around and cut those damn things open because utility workers. Right. They have to and they, unnail the window. Right. right. You know, they have to unsecure the building. I can't even imagine you know? how much welding rod it would take 
to weld a cast iron uh, 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 manhole cover, a casting made of cast iron together. But it once they're yeah, welded at together, some point you, you you have a president that wants to be seen by the people. Hence, why he wants to ride in an open top convertible through downtown Dallas. Okay, he wants to be seen by the people of Texas. Okay, and they love him along the road. Yeah, sure, there's some people that you know that didn't like him, but for the most part, he was cheered from Love Field to Dealey Plaza. You know what I mean? And he wanted to be seen by the people. So what are you going to do as a Secret Service back then? You can say, all right, well, fuck it. We'll just do the best we can with what we got. And, you know, he wants to be seen. Let's go and and hope we get there. You know, yeah, yeah. you can't uh, you can't logistically. Every time the president goes to a city and runs a motorcade through the city, nail every window shut and logistically you can't. That's that's that is a ridiculous notion. That is a ridiculous notion. Well, that's why it's not done anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't have motorcades anymore. The president rolls in an armored freaking uh, cavalcade of vehicles with tinted windows, bulletproof, bombproof, fireproof, uh, breakdown, bombproof. You know whatever you want to call it, and you know they're shuttled in oh, through back man. entrances. You know. It's not done because it's not feasible. When when the president when when a president when a president comes to Nashville, it's it's like they will block. They don't even want you to know what route he's going to take. They will block different route. They'll block five different routes from wherever he from the airport to wherever he's going. They'll block the traffic, and then they'll take one of those like five, two or three or four routes. You don't even know exactly which one he's going to take. Um, but they'll block the fuck out of some traffic, dude. I'm telling you nowadays. Oh nowadays. yeah. And they got decoy vehicles. I've seen them. I've seen them yeah. rolling to camp David up 15 up through Frederick and Thurmont. And they'll have, have a couple different little motorcades if you want to call them, but that all the vehicles look the same. There's like 20 of the same looking ones. Now, how are you going to know which one the president? Yeah. In? Yeah. Uh, 20 identical black, uh, SUVs. Right. You know, you don't know which one he's in. Yeah. And real. they have all the exits blocked off, all the entrances blocked off to the highway ahead of time. And they're just rolling, 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 buddy. And I mean rolling. Well, you know, uh, as far as, as, as the pridey thing goes, uh, hey man, uh if we got if we get people if we got people to, to, to talk or to think about it, you know, um I saw a post online where that listener uh, that posted that we had debunked it, you know, and I, and, and like I say, thank you for posting that. But I think I more or less just questioned it, you know, uh, asked some good questions. Yeah, I didn't really debunk. Himself. Yeah, 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 really, with the contradictions. But another listener commented, um, um, well, it did leave me with some questions. And hey, my job here, you know, that that's all I can ask. I'm not asking you to believe me. But I'm asking you to think critically about it. If a guy puts one thing in a book and then goes and sits down in front of this government body and says, well, that's the craziest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> you know, like like, like, like over the Antarctica thing. I don't know how in the hell people got that idea. Well, it's because you put it in your book, pal. You know, that's just common sense. That's just common sense, Rob. <laughs> um... So yeah, and and the other thing about my my proudy um 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 show was 
I got to looking back again. We were talking about chronology, and I got to looking back at some of the things that Prouty had said over the years, and it seems like he was one of the main purveyors of the George H.W. Bush and Dealey Plaza bullshit. He was telling Harold Weisberg in private letters, you know, Zapata Oil, uh, Operation Zapata, that's a coincidence. Like way back, you know, in like uh, 88, 89. So and, yeah, and and I found another instance where he's back, even back then he's like sort of doing the same thing. You know what's really strange? Uh that ship the Barbara J. You know George H.W. Bush's wife. Wasn't that her name? Hmm. And that was Prouty. Way back then. And it's bullshit. There's no J in her name. You know? And it's and then like if you can honestly if if your if your brain is not wired correctly enough to where, yeah, you look at a map of Cuba, the Bay of Pigs was literally located on the southeastern side of a giant landmass called the Zapata Peninsula, and it's surrounded on three of four sides by a giant swamp called Zapata, and then go, well, hell. That can't have nothing to do with that name. It's got to be from that old boy's old company shit. Then you know what? You really need to go way back, way back. Start at Rush to Judgment. Start over. Meet me back here in 35 years. That's what yeah, I say here, about here's that Here's the thing bullshit. I try to tell these people who say, oh, that's George Bush and Daily Plaza. Because it's coming up again on the Ed Forum. There's assholes posting that picture. Oh, this is side by side with George Bush. Look, it's a perfect match. Perfect. No, it's not. His hairline doesn't match. His chin doesn't match. His nose doesn't match. It doesn't match. It's not. You a know match. what that bullshit is, Rob? That is consp- That is not political assassination research and study. That is conspiracy buff fluff. And I'll tell yeah. you, just like I did on that episode of the Dallas action. If you're out there spreading, you know that that bullshit that that, that George H. W. Bush is clearly photographed in Dealey Plaza, that makes you a conspiracy buff fluffer. And if you don't know what the word fluffer means and why that's a negative connotation, I urge you to Google it immediately. And if yeah. you're out there spreading, I mean, this, it, it's an, it's an immediate red flag as to the type of quote researcher you really are, and you have no business on the Ed Forum at all. I mean, it just shows your stupidity from the from the jump. If if you know, the, I if, mean, if the George H W exactly, if the George H W Bush theory rings true to you and qualifies as serious research, then then you don't qualify. I don't yeah. know how else to put and it. I'm talking about you, neater. Nuts! Uh, you well, are an idiot, sir. Well, I don't. And, I don't like to call people out by. That's Rob's thing, calling people out by oh, name. I do. But you know, uh, that's I'm not just his like, real name, uh, Neater Nuts. Well, let's hope not. That's an unfortunate name to have. <laughs> Here's the thing, Doug. If she's got nuts, I don't need them. Show me one piece. Show me one piece of fucking documentation that George Bush was at ever employed by the cia before 1974 five none just we have a document that states that he was employed he was a contract agent he was a super secret agent he was anything for the you, cia before he was appointed director you know Show what we have we have a document we have a document that 
seems to indicate that somebody with that name was, maybe. But it was probably a pseudonym. Probably probably not his real name. You know? Well, well, it's an FBI document. How the fuck would somebody in the FBI know who's working for the CIA in 1963? I mean, they didn't talk like that back then. You know what I mean? Well, if he if he did, he damn sure didn't give the FBI agent his real name. That's the thing about that. But you know, if you, it's like that that thing about the the the, the boat, the Houston, right? The, oh, it's a boat called the Houston. You know what? If you started at the the Texas Mexico border in the Gulf of Mexico, right? Went up every township, every town, every city, every municipality, every county along that coastline until you got, say, to the Atlantic coast of Florida, all the way around, and counted how many boats in 1963 were registered in the United States of America along the Atlantic seaboard with the name the Houston. You could come up with several hundred boats, right? Yeah. Yeah. How many people do you think there were in America named George Bush in 1963? One? Or wait, one and his boy? Come on. Come yeah. on. Come on. And and it, but it, regardless of that, back to the the photographs of him in Dealey Plaza and blah 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 blah. It's the most I don't know why people want him to have been involved to the point yes. where they make shit up. To the point where they make shit up, and it's it, it is pretty pretty mind bending. I gotta say, I agree with you. Yeah, so let's not waste no more time on that topic. Let's not waste no more time. All I can tell you, folks, is go look at the William the William Allen series of photographs, and you will see that these photographs were taken around around the school book depository immediately after the assassination at about one one fifteen, and because. The front entrance is blocked off. You, you can see Officer McDonald out front talking to talking to other officers. You know, they wouldn't just let anybody or their brother or a super secret CIA agent be leaning up against the school book depository at that time talking to other officers um, if they weren't a detective. And if you look at William Allen's other photographs taken at the same time, you can find another version or person uh, in the same exact spot that you can see straight on. His name is H.H. Davis and he's been identified. It's not George Bush. George Bush was in Tyler, Texas giving a speech at the Blackstone Hotel for the Kiwanis Club at a luncheon, which means during lunchtime. There's no way in hell George Bush could have gotten Word that the president had been assassinated and dead, uh, and then flown to Dallas to be standing in front of the TSBD at 115. I'm sorry, it's just not humanly possible unless he has a cape and some tidy whities <laughs> But look, it, it's not him. Y'all stop. This I've said this before on the Dallas Action, too. I'm going to repeat it here. This stuff is, it's like that dude that, Keeps out, keeps telling everybody that Otto Scorzani was was QJ win. This stuff is way too complicated enough as it is without y'all making shit up. That's it. Yep. That's it. That's it. Rob, how do we stand on time, buddy? I've lost track. We're good. Uh, we can get to the emails real quick if you want. 
Uh, let's do. I tell you what. We let's, got about ten or fifteen minutes. Let's do. Uh, let's do one one email tonight. What do you think? Well, we only. What? I only got a couple. They won't take very long. Okay. Okay. Because I lost track of time. I, I can't remember. Uh, now you're going to get some inside baseball guys. Well, we had the problem, and we did the first half. I can't remember how long the first half was to to do the math yeah, on, my, on my clock. We got here. about ten or fifteen minutes. All right. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Oh, wait, right, wait, 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 Rob. Wait, wait. We got to do this now that I can do this by myself. That they taught me how to. Let me do this. Guys, this has been. Hang on. Oh, look, I fucked it up already. Hang on. This has been. Oh, well, allow me to retort. Here on Quick Hits. Thank you. Okay, Rob, sorry. I, now I'm ready. <laughs> now I'm ready. Wait, wait. You got emails? Yes. Dude, yes, wait a minute. Is. We. Have an email song. You ready, guys? It's time for emails. You like the Beatles, right, Rob? Yeah. Love them. Please, Mr. Postman. Okay, Rob, there. That's our that's our new email song, Rob, uh, for the Dallas action. It's please, Mr. Postman. So, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Now, I, I got the, the, this, the first one here on October 30th. And I cannot remember if we t- talked about it on the last show because I, I w- we would have been in the studio. Yeah, you were here. I, yeah, and I can't remember if we talked about it on the show or after the show, but I'll read it again anyway in case I, we didn't. Okay. Um, so it's, it's it's from Joy. She says, hi, guys. Hi, Joy. I have to say Rob's portrayal of Dago will live in the annals of podcast history. Fantastic work, Rob. I made the mistake of listening to it's, it on my run. It's gonna live in somebody's anal. And, and some kind people, and some kind people stopped in their car to ask if I was okay as I was wiping the tears of laughter from my eyes. Uh, a question though: What is the link for the GoFundMe page to buy Marina a douche kit? <laughs> oh, we did read. We did read this one because we were like, Joy, what's what? What do you got against Marina? Yeah, I remember that. now is I have some Christmas shopping to do for my husband. I'm buying him some Mark Lane endorsed pliers. They tighten your nuts real good, according to the packaging. They have Best. pink. Joy. They have pink handles, is what I'm told. Those pliers. <laughs> All right, we got one from Tim. He says, "Yo, homies, I need a new V-neck T-shirt. You what? selling one with? <laughs> huh? I was going. What's up, dude? Oh." He said, are you selling one with the I took a shit in Roy Truly's lunch bag logo? <laughs> <laughs> or what about. <laughs> <laughs> I took a shit in Roy Truly's lunch bag on a T-shirt. <laughs> or how about this for a T-shirt? A picture of Jack Ruby <laughs> With he would just eat them underneath. A picture. Hey, we just need a picture of Jack Ruby with his tongue stuck out like that Einstein photo. It's that. Yeah. No words. He says, "Got to run. Just lost a fine piece of cheese down in the front of my damn sweatpants." Tim, the eugenicist. <laughs> Tim, dude, you're the man, homie. You're the man. Email right, often. Email often, Tim. Yes. Hi, Robin Doug. I love your show, and I'm certainly one of your biggest fans. <laughs> you guys are true Hall of Famers in the JFK Assassination Independent Research Community. Whoop, whoop. You guys have done so much, and yes, both of you do inspire your students. 
Most importantly, I found your research to be very objective. Doug, best of luck with your JFK Lancer presentation. I'm sure your presentation is going to be great. How do you respond to Ken Ron's website, which retorts, LOL, Robert Frazier, FBI ballistics expert's testimony below, which says this, Doug. Whose website? The reason for Ken Ron. He's a lone nutter. Uh, It says the reasons for analyzing the fragments. The main goals of analyzing the lead fragments elementally were to try to determine how many bullets struck the men, how many rifles fired them, and what kind of ammunition they represented, and possibly also also whose rifles they were. To do this, the FBI tried to link the little fragments chemically to the two big ones, both of which had been traced ballistically to Lee Harvey Oswald's rifle to the exclusion of all other rifles. This article is in conflict with your Quick hit to episode number 14, where Doug pointed to Robert Frazier's claim that CE-399 could not be excluded from the Manlicker Carcano at the exclusion of all of the rifles. In fact, Mr. Ron claims that there were two large fragments that have been traced ballistically to Lee Harvey Oswald's rifle to the exclusion of all other rifles. I try to be like you guys. I try to be objective and therefore have given the neutron activation analysis some weight credit in the past, but maybe I've been too polite and gracious. Well, your what response I was... to Mr. Ron's claims will be greatly appreciated. Don't worry about not getting back to me. I know you guys are busy. I apologize if you already covered it in a previous episode, and I just didn't get to it yet. Thank you, Carrie Boucher, as in Carrie Grant. Carrie as in Carrie Grant. Boucher as in Boucher. As in Bo- <laughs> Bobby Boucher. So uh, here's yeah. the the part of Fraser's testimony that I think is so important. He's not talking about the neutron an activation analysis test or whatever that is. He's talking about the ballistics. He's talking about the lands and grooves. He's right. ta- he, he, that's the thing, Kerry, is, is he, he's talking about the lands and grooves on the bullet uh, on 399 and his test bullets that he fired. And what he said was, and cor- I, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure I'm right. Didn't he say they were significantly different? And he said he could not... He could not tie, based on the lands and grooves, because of the significant significant differences, could not tie the bullet to the Oswald rifle to the exclusion of all other barrels. Correct. Uh, our, my retort to Ken Ron would be to go read the HSCA ballistics testimony of Robert Frazier. Right. That right. would be, be my retort, because that's straight from the man's mouth. It's right there in the HSCA uh, stuff for anybody to read, and obviously he didn't read it. So there you right, go, right? Right. And Carrie, Carrie Boucher, I got to tell you, most of the time, my my response to lone nutterism is is it honestly is is this: what the fuck ever, dude? That eh, you know, and 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 because it's like I, you know, with this new book, I guess Mr. Litwin, uh, the Fred Litwin guy, he was on your show. You know, he's got this new book about Garrison. Um, to yes. make a little bit of splash, and I, and, I, and I've gotten, and I mentioned this on on a, I'll mention this on a future uh, uh, episode of the Dallas Action. I've had people ask me, well, why don't you ever have you know Warren Commission defenders on your show? And I tell them because that's not what the fuck my show's about. You know, uh, it it's. It's not just that it's not what my show is, but it's not why it is, you know? And it's like, ah, pfft, you know, they're just trying to 
dead muddy waters. I don't even. Carrie, stay off them Lone Nutter websites because, you know. Yeah, I, and I just in- don't have any random Lone Nutters on my show. Like, I will never have Gerald Posner, John McAdams, or any disingenuous fuck like that on my show ever. <laughs> I have I have ones that are actually capable of doing real research uh, and they can have a civil conversation despite we might think about things differently and whether or not you agree or disagree with them. I've always said it's hard to disagree with documents. And for example, in the Fred Litwin show, the man brought his book is full of documents. I mean, it's, it's all right there in black and white. So you can talk, all the shit you want about Fred Litwin and his first book, and that's fine. But his second book about Garrison is pretty much backed up by documents and real research. I mean, and the guy really did his his due diligence on the second book, and it's hard to argue with him. I mean, unless you get down and dirty in the trenches and start name calling, which is what some very prominent researchers are doing. Oh man, yeah, yeah. Being able I just to refute him. I just choose not to engage, you know. It's like I'm like, yeah. I'm I mean, like, I, I'm studying my thing. And... He did his, yeah. He was nice enough to send me a copy of his book. He did his due diligence, and I deemed him worthy enough to come back on my show. And that's the bottom line. It's my show. If you don't like it, don't listen to it. It's Rob's show. Right, if you don't one. like it, don't listen to it. It's Rob's show. That's right. I listen to it because I like it, and I'm behind Rob 100. percent So if you're not, you can, you know, you know what you can do. I mean, the Fred Litwin show, wouldn't you agree, was a good show? Hell yeah, it was a good show. I listened to the whole thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. You know, was Garrison on the wrong path? But, you know, do you think Clay Shaw was guilty? I mean, I mean come on. Come on, All man. All right. Uh, this is from Ann. She says, Yeehaw, gents. Those three tramps in Dealey Plaza when JFK was killed? Everyone's got it wrong. They weren't Charles Harrelson, Frank Sturgis, George Bush, Alan Dulles, James Angleton, Ed Lansdale, Curtis, Bombs Away, LeMay, or any of a host of others who were never there. The three tramps in Dealey Plaza were and and are Beverly Oliver, Madeline Brown, and Judith Barry Baker. (laughs) (laughs) Ta-da! God, I love our listeners. We have got some pretty awesome listeners. All right, this is the we last need a one, T-shirt though. with that, <laughs> and then Hell just yeah. the, the, three. the three tramps the Dealey Plaza and just put their fucking faces on it. Put their faces on the on the three guys. Yeah. How fast do you think we'd be hit with a lawsuit? Uh oh, boy, man, pretty fast, pretty fast. But you know what? I don't give a fuck. From, I say we do it anyway. from two anyway. <laughs> you know, well, they can't, they they can't, they can't stop you from making one and wearing it. You know, having one made by your local T-shirt shop and then wearing it wherever you go. This is true. They might be able. Yeah, yeah, that's right. All right, dear Doug and Rob, you guys fucking rock. I love the show Woo-hoo. and thoughtful discussion. I wanted to give a quick rebuttal to your discussion about whether Oswald was left or right-handed, based on two key incidents in his life. I think we can make a reasonable conclusion that Oswald. Was most likely right handed. Uh, the first is the notorious Derringer incident in Japan. While it's not, while it's impossible to prove whether the shot was an accident or not, based on his breakup with his girlfriend at the Queen Bee and his impending shipping out to Formosa, 
providing context for Oswald's psychological state, I think there's reason to suspect the shot was purposeful and self-inflicted. The wound was in his upper left arm, which means Oswald used his right hand to hold the gun to fire. And later in Moscow, in his even more notorious suicide attempt, he again used his right hand to slash his left wrist. Seems to me like the dude was right-handed. Just wanted to offer my two cents. Great work. Keep it coming, guys. Stu. P.S. I was watching Pulp Fiction last week and just about lost my shit when Sam Jackson busted out the allow me to retort <laughs> We do got the best listeners, don't we? I know. No shit. No shit. But now, Stu, you make some good points, dude. The wrist, know? the wrist um, thing is enough is enough to convince me. Now that I think about it. Yeah, yeah. it's very points and you know, but the boy's mama said he was left handed. Now that's not saying that back then, you know, left-handedness was frowned upon by a lot of people and they they often made kids do shit with their right hands despite being left-handed um which led to them being left-handed i'm left-handed and i had a dude that one one time actually said you're left-handed and i went yeah i was writing something and he says you you would how did he put it you would think your parents would have corrected that when they when you were a child and i'm like fucking asshole you know, right. what kind of thing is that to say? But apparently you're right. Like, uh, you know, back in the day, uh, that would happen. Yeah, like the Marine Corps would make you shoot right-handed or, or you know, in school they make you right right-handed or in sports there might not have been a, a, a right-handed glove, so you had to learn how to throw with your right hand and catch, catch with your left even and, though you were left-handed. And like you I know, say, man, that can be a bitch. weird stuff. That can be a bitch firing a rifle because, uh, you know, you get hit in the face with a shell. It's not, right. uh, you know what I mean? It's not uh, out of the yeah. order, you know. It can happen, but, well, cool. Well, thanks, Stu. Stu, Tim, Carrie. There was another one somewhere, I remember. Joy. Was, joy. And, yeah. Joy. Oh, what her, Joy, come on, man. You know, it's Christmas. Don't bother Marina. Don't, don't be mean. It's Christmas. Are you still there, Rob? Do we drop Rob? Yeah, it's a GoFundMe, GoFundMe.com backslash Marina's Douche Fund. That's where you can contribute. <laughs> I'm not contributing there. I'll just tell you. Not me. Um, yeah, she just needs to pour a little mouthwash in it and <laughs> spit it back out. Hey, you know, I saw some uh, a, a photograph of her like in the late 70s uh, recently. Uh, on a photograph, yeah. you know, yeah, not too shabby. Looking kind of nice. She had a little Dutch boy haircut Definitely going on, kind of cute. Framed her face, not handsome woman. That Marina, handsome woman. So, um, so, yeah, yeah. But like most Russians, uh, started going downhill as soon as it hit fifty. <laughs> oh, come on, you enjoy. I don't know why you're so rough on Miss Marina. Know, so, so how about we got any more? Is that it, Rob? That's it, buddy. That's it for the emails. And if you would like to email the show, you can do so at quickhitsjfk at gmail.com, and we will read your shit right here on the air and comment about it. And joke and laugh with you. We will have fun with you. We will. Yes. So, Rob? The worse your email is, the better. So send it. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Write a bad email. Yes. 
So, Rob, do you want to uh, begin the uh, the closeout? I will take us out at the end there um, uh, with our preview to our next show. If you would like to plug your podcast, sir. Absolutely, Doug. Uh, my podcast is, of course, the Lone Gunman podcast. You can listen to it everywhere. Uh, good podcasts can be listened to, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Spotify. You can even tell Alexa Alexa, play the Lone Gunman podcast, and she will. Can you believe it? It's amazing technology. Oh, my God. It's crazy. It's pretty cool. So do that. Yeah. And you can follow me on Twitter at the Lone Gunman 7 or on the Facebook page. Just search for the Lone Gunman podcast, and you'll find it. And make sure to give it a like. And leave a review for the podcast wherever you listen. That'd be fantastic. I never read them, but you can leave it anyway. Yeah. Doug. Yeah, he de- he doesn't. I promise he doesn't read them. Uh, yeah, and of course, you can find <laughs> me on my podcast, The Dallas Action, presented by Wall Street Window, which is the study of the people, places, things, events, and ideas related to the Kennedy assassination in podcast form. Everywhere you find quality podcasts. Yes, and this one, guys... This one is Quick Hits. It is written, it is researched, and hosted by Rob Clark and Doug Campbell. Brought to you by Drop D Podcast Productions in the heart of Music Row, Music City, USA. So for Rob Clark, this is Doug Campbell saying tune in next time when, while explaining in detail his nine gunmen in Dealey Plaza hypothesis, we'll hear Jim Fetzer say, This cocksucker here, I found him in a storm drain. We are out. Cocksucker here, I found him in a storm drain.